Hello and welcome to Virtual Reality. This is your host, Joseph. This definitely is probably the first time I've done an introduction to the podcast that you're about to listen to. But I felt like it was an important time to start, especially because uh, we'll probably get a little bit more in depth into the conversations that we get into uh, with my guests that I invite on. Uh, But I do want to thank anyone who's listened to the podcast from episode one. And if this is one of your first podcasts, welcome to the podcast. This is Virtue Reality. Please like and subscribe. Uh, But if you have any questions, comments, or if you have any topic ideas for any future podcasts, please definitely DM them to me email me anything that you can uh, get to me I will respond I'll answer them and then you probably will be possibly could appear on the episode uh, but this episode is about film history and I do feel like film in general is a very important uh, aspect of society I've been in the film industry for about 10 years I haven't done too much in the film industry lately but I would would like to get back into it, but also, too, I still try to keep myself into the entertainment industry in general just by doing the podcast and and anything that I can get my hands on. Uh, But this episode, I do have my one of my old film history teachers. She's not old. It's just an old class. But um, her name is Beth Bonick. She was my film history teacher when I was at CCBC in Maryland. Uh, she probably had one of the most profound impacts on me and my film industry training uh, because I do feel like film history is extremely important to the filmmaking process in general because if you don't know where things started, you really don't know where you're going with it. Um, but I'd rather let Beth Bonick let you know all the information. She'll definitely give you some insight, some little nuggets of information about the film industry in general, some historical uh, pieces. Uh, But just stay tuned. I hope you enjoy our discussion on film history. Beth Bonnick. Bonnick like Sonic. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way I, that's like lots of ways I remember it. I remember you told me, well, I remember you announced it to the class. That's how you pronounce it. So I'll always remember that. Oh, that's good. It works. It works. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and that was about, what was that, 2016? No, I feel like I took the class in 2015, but I was there for about a year. Who knows? Okay. But um, if you just want to kind of introduce yourself and what you do uh, in sure. Maryland in general. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I moved. I'm from the Chicago area and I moved to Baltimore to teach at CCBC, Community College of Baltimore County. So to work in the communication and media studies department. So uh, one of my favorite classes is our film history course. And uh, Joseph took that with me apparently five years ago, but it really doesn't, it really doesn't Time feel flies. like it was that long ago. <laughs> wow, okay. But, yes, did you want more than that? More detail? Does that work? Um, so, but <laughs> essentially, but we kind of go this. I want to kind of introduce the podcast to be we're kind of going to go into um, film in general, film history, okay. and then how, uh, especially this year, has affected film and yeah. then production and things like that. And also, too, I noticed that it's been a definite shift to 
um, creativity on the internet. Uh, yeah. and it's, it's definitely moved from, even though obviously things have to happen uh, in person, but I've definitely noticed like a lot of webcam action and things like that. Yeah. But we're definitely going to go into things like uh, what has been changing. But okay. um, just to go into what you do beyond mm-hmm. uh, as a teacher, do you do any like production, any like on the side? Yeah, I do. Well, so for a, for a while, I did not. So my background is documentary film production. That's what I I went to grad school for that, um, but then I have two children. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. being a single mom, I did not do a lot of productions for a while. And I'm just recently in the, the last couple of years starting to get back into production. So um, I am in the middle of producing a documentary film. And you know, I have gotten, as I think I think you have as well, really into podcasting. Mm-hmm. So man, I'm like in production of like three different podcasts right now. And I find that a lot of filmmakers are turning to podcasts, maybe especially documentary. Yeah, like especially documentary filmmakers, right? So it's, uh, I I love listening to them. I love listening to the immersive journalistic, you know, nonfiction narrative podcast because it's basically a documentary with just using audio and I Mm -hmm. and so I started to get into that because I mean I don't want to say it's easier but it is easy (laughs) it's easier in a lot of ways (laughs) and it's still a lot of work if you're you know if you're trying to build a story but um you don't not having to worry about the the video the visual part is it's kind of nice that is a major reason why I kind of stepped into it. it it's because I literally can go into a dark room, silent, and just start talking to different people about different topics. So I definitely, yeah. and that's major, That's like a major thing, especially to someone who wants to be in the entertainment field. Uh, but yeah. I mean, so you've been working on uh, documentaries for mm-hmm. like, how long would you say? Like, what would you, no, beyond that, what would be uh, your start in uh, getting into documentary filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, well, we could go way back. My, <laughs> I, I don't know how far back we want to go, but I was really inspired. I feel like I was probably like 12 or 13 and I watched Roger and Me. Um, that's the Michael Moore documentary from like late 80s, maybe it was 88, 89, Roger and Me. Mm-hmm. So I watched that film with my dad um because he was using it for it for an ethics course that he was teaching and I was so moved by this documentary by this filmmaker who was like you know Michael Moore you know what he does he like he is the story right you know Mm -hmm. he puts himself into the story and I think that really it made a huge impression on me um and like right then and there like I knew that's like that's that's what I wanted to do and you know even before that I had a tape recorder Joseph I had a tape recorder (laughs) that my dad gave me and then my grandfather gave me a microphone to hook up to it and I was record like so I feel like podcasting is definitely my thing because mm-hmm. I was recording everybody and everything this <laughs> was, was, uh, when you say tape recording you mean uh like just audio <laughs> yeah I mean like <laughs> a, kind of a cassette, a cassette. Oh, okay because <laughs> I'm like right you're even 
you're even too young for this. Right? A little but, bit. <laughs> yeah, you are. So yeah. an actual like cassette. So I would buy or beg my parents to buy blank cassette tapes and stick them into my little tape recorder and plug in my microphone. And I was just, I was just going to town, loving that. So, mm -hmm. and then I think Michael Moore, uh, watching that film was like, oh, wow, you know, I could do this with, with video as well. So like through high school, I did a lot of documenting with my dad's um, VHS recorder Right, so we're right. <laughs> that's also dating me. So that which are <laughs> big, like those are big cameras, you know, like carrying right. that sucker to school. And anyway, right. two thousand dollar cameras. Well, I don't think I. That's a good. I, I heard they were. Clear. I heard they were really expensive back then. Like to get one of those, those are not cheap. You know what? I'm gonna ask my dad. I can't imagine him number one spending that much money, <laughs> and then. And then if he did spend that much money, I can't imagine him then letting me take it to school. <laughs> so, right, right. I mean, th that that was like 90s. So, you know, maybe the, the price had gone down a little bit. Right. But oh, true, true. Anyway, yeah. Dating ourselves. I mean, I, I know. Why, why are you doing this to me? You know, I don't like to talk about age. I don't usually go there. <laughs> no discrimination. Technology, technology mm -hmm. is, is dating me it's here. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I mean the fact that I had to explain to you my my cassette recorder. Oh yeah, because I just want to know if it was like because when you said tape recorder, I, I, like everybody may think it's a video, so I'm like just so people know, because there may <laughs> maybe some ten year olds here. <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you a picture of, of it. I still have oh, yeah, it. Sure, I love sure. it. <laughs> I have like an emotional connection to that tape recorder. Um, but yeah, so I think like, you know, all that stuff that, that I was doing and then watching this documentary, you know, it kind of put it together for me, mm -hmm. you know, like what I'm doing can be created into something pretty amazing to, you know, possibly make an impact on people. Now, like fast forward, you know, Michael Moore, like I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of him anymore. Mm -hmm. I can just put that out there. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think he's awesome and what he did for documentary films was huge, you know, like his were like the first documentaries to be like commercial successes. So that's huge for documentaries. Um, I don't like that he's so heavy handed though. Um, and I feel like he alienates a lot of people who are the ones who need to be convinced. But then on the other hand, he also raises a lot of important questions for us to discuss. But anyway, um, mm -hmm. Uh, Michael Moore was interesting mm -hmm. and then you know I went to college but I did not major in anything film related how weird is that every time I think about that I wonder why I didn't you know and um, but then I went to grad school for documentary film production mm -hmm. so that's kind I of always the because I kind of did the same uh, I thought when I first went to left high school and went to CCBC. This is before, mm -hmm. um, this is back in 2007. The, the second time I went to CCBC was when I met you. Uh, okay. But uh, I first went there for theater or something like that. But oh, okay. I, I left there, so many issues happened. I went to this like rip off school that was downtown. It's called CCI Johns Hopkins. I'm still paying mm -hmm. that loan off. That was like the complete, complete scam. Um, oh then I left to go to LA film school. Um, mm -hmm. and then in there, I always felt like there was a, 
there was always like these like divisions and things like that where it was hard to build like a um, a set of people that would kind of work with you. And I always felt like doing mm-hmm. documentaries, even though I, I never really went into that field, I wish yeah. that I did because okay. I felt like if I did decide to do that, I would not have to have five people that I need to have on set. I just need my camera. I can go and do whatever I wanted to do. But I never, Mm -hmm. I felt like documentaries would have probably (laughs) did really good for me and especially the type of person that I am. Um, Yeah. But it's it's very interesting. But I would say that what got me into it was Mm -hmm. a few movies because I always wanted to make movies, like make um, (laughs) sci-fi action movies, things like that. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. movie, even though this wasn't a sci-fi movie, it was the, you ever, have you ever seen the movie Big Fat Liar with Frankie Big Muniz Fat and Liar. Paul Giamatti? No, I haven't. Well, believe, you ever seen the movie? It's a good movie. No. But basically okay. the kid writes a, a story, a film producer okay. somehow gets the paper, he makes a movie out of the story that the kid wrote. And I was just like, that could be me. Oh, you know what I mean? I was like, that could be, I can just write a story. I used to write stories and things like that. So I kind of felt like that kind of got me into it. Uh, but but beyond, well, uh, with it being uh, very independent and mm-hmm. um, have you ever, do you go into story making style filmmaking ever? Yeah. Or have you? Oh, well, so, okay. So I think you mean like um, narrative style? Yeah, so, narrative. That's me. Uh, um, yeah, so like like fiction type yes. films is what you're thinking. Oh, I yeah. have not. It's that is it's never been an interest for me to create mm-hmm. that. Um, I mean, of course, I, I study it and I I, I teach about it, but right. um, I'm definitely in terms of you know creating film. Um, it's never really appealed to me to write a script like that. Um, mm-hmm. However, I think that there's a lot of, like, people don't always understand that when you are making a documentary, you are telling a story and you still do create, mm-hmm. you know, your your visual treatment and, and you still build a story and you have characters. So, and, and you use the same, like, story building elements that you do for a narrative. Right. Um, so it's, it's very similar, but yeah, I have it just honestly never ever appealed to, um, appealed to me to do that. I always wanted to tell just real true stories. Mm-hmm. So Did, was it, um, how can I ask this question? Was it ever the, because <laughs> on my end, the reason why it prevented me from doing it as much as I wanted to was mm-hmm. because I needed uh, crew members was that ever, um, yeah. well, you never even wanted to like really go into that field, but yeah. did you ever run into any issues with like needing like crew yeah. members, equipment, things like that? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like right now, I mean, I'm, so when I started making like pieces um, professionally, I started freelancing at a local PBS station. So that was another thing that like, that was what I wanted to do was to work for a PBS station and mm-hmm. create my little, you know, documentaries um, that, that, that could air. So I started doing that and I really enjoyed it. But for me, like doing that, you ha- you have a built-in crew. So like when I was producing, like producing is like 
really what, what I love to do. So mm-hmm. when I was producing these pieces, I had crew members, you know, at the station who would come with me and the equipment was there. So that made that part easier. Um, people to, to set up for the interviews, even, you know, people to shoot things for me if I didn't do it myself. But I also did it myself as well. Like I invested in a camera like right out of grad school and it was expensive. That camera was probably... I'm never good at remembering numbers because I know it was a lot. It was like probably $6,000, which for me was like insane, you know? (laughs) And I bought that camera. Uh, We were using the little uh, mini DVs. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You should remember Uh, that. So exactly. And so that, I bought that camera. And then like two years later, everything was, you know, completely digital. So (laughs) (laughs) that. But even, I think that's gone away. Like, cause my, I, with my DSLR camera, I don't think I would pull that out for anything besides taking a picture. Really? So what would you, what, what do you use then? I, uh, but because mm-hmm. I haven't shot anything, I probably mm-hmm. would actually go and shoot with an iPhone or like somebody's Android and just buy some of those little yeah. lenses. Cause those are really like even the settings on the phones and then the combination with the lens, they're so yeah. much quicker and faster. Again, that's another huge part about what what's been going on and changing. You can yeah, turn on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> so you would wow, that's so cool, Joseph. I like that. That mm-hmm. you would just use your phone. I mean, I hear people say that. I I don't know if I'm quite that brave. Like right <laughs> now I <laughs> right now I have I, I have some grant money that that I'm using for um uh, a documentary film mm-hmm. that I'm in the middle of. But I, I use that money to hire a director of photography and he has all like the super fancy equipment. And so, so I'm not see, quite that brave. I think it's <laughs> so interesting because uh, what it's so crazy because I would not, well, maybe it's because I don't have the, the grant and stuff like that. I wouldn't <laughs> even think to do that. But right, I would feel right. like if a person came to my set with that much stuff, I'd be like, what are you doing with all this stuff? Like you really like, this is like, we have compacted this stuff so much to these yeah, days yeah, that yeah. It's like, yeah. especially when you're not making like a Marvel movie, you can put all that stuff. <laughs> oh, but, you're so funny. I know. <laughs> but um, so, so you said that you started working at PBS and then we started there, was that in Chicago? That was when you moved here. That was outside of Chicago, so that was before I moved here. Okay. So I was, so this was like, oh, to remember dates, like 2000, mm-hmm. <laughs> like probably between what were you like watching 2000? on TV? That's always been asked people, like, what were you watching on TV? If I can like remember stuff like that way. <laughs> you know what? I think I was at, like, towards the end of that, I think I was watching Grey's Anatomy, like, mm-hmm. we were in the first couple of seasons. <laughs> So I think it was like around like 2000, between like 2006 and 2010 mm-hmm. where I was there and I was, I was freelance. It was just freelance though. So, which was, I mean, I loved it. Like I loved freelancing for PBS and then I was teaching, um, I, I was an adjunct professor at a local mm-hmm. community college. And that to me was like the life. I loved it, but because I was so flexible and I was doing what I love um, in, in both realms because I found that, you know, I really liked teaching mm-hmm. as well that was a lot of fun, but so, I mean, this is just where life kind of gets in the way. Like I could not really sustain that. And 
raise two kids at the same time. So like I needed, I felt like, and I think I was right, like that I needed a full-time job. I felt like, okay, now I have to do the adult thing and get this full, get, try to get a full-time job with the benefits and, you know, all of that. Um, And this was also like, that was around the time, like 2000, what was it? Nine and 10, where we had this huge, like economic, crash i don't know what the word is but do you do you remember that like um, like at least like where uh, i, I mean, live you're talking about uh it was like the end of 2008 and then into yes. that it was like the, the rebuild of everything i know you mean yes yep uh-huh so the the economy was not doing well at all so jobs were pretty scarce and mm-hmm. so i it just started to make me really nervous you know, and the, the kids were, were pretty little. So I was just really nervous about, about being able to um, survive financially. You know, it was it was a real, it was a stretch. Whereas if I didn't have kids, I probably would still be doing all that, just freelancing right. all over the place. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. So I thought, well, you know, in terms of making documentaries or, you know, working for PBS, that's a, that's a really hard job to get. And the pay is pretty low, especially in the beginning. So I went the route of trying to um, get get a full time teaching position, and that still took me a couple of years. And it, and where I was living was where it was one of the the hardest hit in in the whole country. So, um, but so I took this job in in Maryland. And Maryland was a whole different story. Like oh, where mm-hmm. I was coming from, outside of Chicago, like people were depressed. I mean, you could just there was just this sort of fog in the air. And really. Um, Oh yeah, it was really I feel the sad. same thing about Maryland though. Like not oh, not in the entire place, but <laughs> there's a good portion of it that has that same description. Yeah, probably. Probably, but that's probably everywhere though. But if you really think about it, but uh, but uh, go ahead. But was, <laughs> uh, so you, uh, yeah, you came it, over it to Maryland. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it, yes. it, it was just you know because I feel like Maryland was not hit as hard mm-hmm. as 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 the midwest was so it just sort of felt like wow i mean people are getting jobs and they're giving jobs and i don't know yeah <laughs> um so i took the, the the full-time teaching position and then what i just always try to do is leverage my teaching position into still being able to somewhat build my media career mm-hmm. and the first few years was really hard and and i couldn't really do that because of well I mean I was just living life you know and, and trying to get by but now um I have, have been able to do more of that and I know where to find money and I know you know I can get you know money from certain sources at CCBC mm-hmm. and um I have students who help me with these projects which is very cool so it's not just for me it's helping the students you know, build their resume as well. Like I could see, like if I was doing that when you were there, you would have been doing this stuff with me. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and I, I really even moving here, it was a total. I wish I, I don't even know. I do like how my life has gone since I've been here. I do think mm-hmm. that it was a good step because I think I was kind of repeating the same things in Maryland, especially because yeah. like it was really difficult for me to find a full time job. When I was mm-hmm. there, especially going to school at the time, so I was just like, "This is too much." So I was just like, "I have to like go yeah. somewhere else. Maybe I could like a full time job was over here, kind of really jump started everything." And even with cool. the way that this all went, like last year, I would not have started the podcast if it wasn't for the way twenty twenty went. 
but, really? Is that right? Okay. Like, honestly, like uh, I was not even like thinking about um, really. I thought I had all the equipment, like all the stuff that I'm using now. I have a boarding mic, of course, but everything else, mm -hmm. I've had it for such a long time because I do production. And I just like, yeah. I just looked at everything and I was like, this is podcast stuff. And I made a logo and I was just like, yes. let's roll with it. <laughs> yeah, but, I love that. But so, uh, so when you went to, so when you, so eh, let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> so teaching film history uh, mm -hmm. Me personally, I thought that was in my um, education in film. And even when I was in uh, L.A., mm -hmm. uh, L.A. was very much hands-on filmmaking. And what okay. I felt like I was missing was what your class taught me was, mm -hmm. I, even though I could put a camera in my hand, yes, blah, 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 blah. Right, but right. what I'm capturing mm -hmm. makes no sense. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. When I took your yeah. class, it definitely gave me like a perspective to say what this right. should mean, what this should visually mean, what this like historically means, you know what I mean? So yeah. what, how did you get into like film history? And because uh, I know you did communications, did that yeah. cover it? And then did you choose to go into film history instead of production so, or something? Oh, okay. So yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So I kind of fell into it. Mm. So my, I did have, uh, in grad school, we had a oh, history of documentary film class. And it was, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was, like you said, it's, it, it's like eye-opening. It's like, okay, it here's is. this, yeah, like here's this career path that I want to follow. But, you know, knowing knowing what came before is just, yeah, it's you, you have to do it. I think I think to be truly be a good filmmaker, I think you, you need to arm yourself with with what came before mm -hmm. and, and how it came and, and why and all of that is so important. So I took that class, but I wasn't like, okay, now I'm gonna I wanna teach it. But when I I took the job at DCBC, so my degree, um, my um, graduate degree in documentary film production was really part of, was inside University of Florida's um, mass communications department or mm -hmm. mass communication and journalism school. I forgot what it's called. But so that allowed me to teach mass communication and really like any communication class. So that was the opening at CCBC. It was to be part of what they called at the time, it was the communication arts department. So to teach, um, communications classes so at first I was teaching the, the fundamentals of communication which is like you know public speaking and interpersonal communication and I enjoy that too because I think that is just extremely important like life tools right um, knowing how to communicate but also so within our department we have a communication studies program and a mass communication program so of course I'm going to veer towards the mass communication classes and there was a they have a film history class already so I was lucky enough <clears throat> that since my first semester teaching at CCBC, I've been teaching film history. So I, which I'm lucky because a lot of professors just coming in are just stuck with that 101 class and mm -hmm. um, it, it gets to be a lot. And having a film history class, is just always a, a different type of student. Like most students are very excited coming into that class. Um, you know, they're, they're film lovers, 
usually. Right. So that sort of changes the game. Yeah, it does. It, it, they, it, it's mm-hmm. not just me. You, you will find people who chose that for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, which makes it more fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, did I, am I veering off too far? That was the question, like, why am I teaching film history? And oh, instead of production, okay. so mm-hmm. my... So, you know, CCBC has the three campuses and the campus that I was um, hired to teach on, which is Catonsville, did not have any of the production classes. So I was kind of bummed about that at first, but they also didn't need anyone for the production classes on the Essex campus. Um, And then that has just recently changed into a digital media program. But you know what? And if they do have more, even more production classes and more money for that, but I don't know. I, I, I like what I teach and I like, you know, have created opportunities for students on the Catonsville campus to do production work as well. You know, like we've, we've bought equipment, students are doing it extracurricularly. And um, so I'm still teaching production mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of ways. Does the, and then I remember when I was there, the film society, does that still, mm-hmm. uh, does that still go mm-hmm. on? Oh, the film society. So the film, it's not really right now because like for me, the film society, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, the film society, it, it, it was started by some really cool students who I think it was like my second year at CCBC um, came to me and just, they needed an advisor. And so they're students who I had had before and, you know, talked about film with. So they asked me to be their advisor. So it started off being a, a really cool experience. And one thing I always wanted to do, it was like when I interviewed at CCBC, I asked them if there was a student film festival. And I remember the dean saying no, but like his eyes lit up and he thought like, oh yeah, please do create a film festival, a student film festival at CCBC. So I was able to do that through the Film Society create a student film festival and mm-hmm. did you ever go to one of those i was in there one of my movies was in there <laughs> okay so I higher help. <laughs> oh awesome good i'm sorry like i don't <laughs> um and and two we we ended up the past couple of years well obviously we didn't do one last year we kind of did but mm-hmm. um once you know some new students came in we decided to make it a, a, a regional event so we invited students from Towson, Morgan, like Loyola, like, you know, other regional Baltimore schools to, um, uh, to, to show their films. So that, it became a really neat event the, the last couple of years. And then the, of course, last year we didn't do it, but I did another kind of media competition. So students created projects around quarantine and what that was like for them. And we just posted those online, like on our um, on the connection, which is our online student newspaper. So, I mean, we're still getting students, you know, creating. It's just obviously a different format, right? Right now, even because uh, what I was thinking about uh, before uh, everything began, um, mm-hmm. like the, the quarantine and everything, I was about to. I was in the works of setting up a nonprofit studio in Las Vegas, so it kind of mm-hmm. facilitated filmmaking on a low budget level where if people didn't have as much money to go to a bigger budget studio they could shoot in mind things like that it kind of would contribute to the learning process I was going to do like a, a class where I was going to teach like film history production and things like that but be, it, it's because of what I uh, wanted to bring up with the film society 
And when I was at the Film Society, I felt like I, maybe it was because I didn't know the people that was in the film society or maybe they maybe because I went to film school and then went to school to get some other degree right I felt like it was very difficult to get people to help me to do any of the productions that I wanted to do and Mm -hmm. it it, it was everywhere and it was even when I was in LA film school it was difficult it was so difficult and I felt like if, if I could somehow get around that for a person who has an idea but doesn't have the other things that they need a perfect idea would be to have a nonprofit film studio so that's that's why i wanted to kind of do that and also too that's why i felt like the 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 way that maybe just the way that i was in it it just didn't work for me (laughs) and i was fine what happens I remember that, Joseph. I, I remember that quite clearly. Um, I mean, there's just, there's a few things about that. I mean, number one, it is just hard to get people to be excited. Like, okay, you know how, like people who are creative, like we are, we have these like great ideas and we're so enthusiastic and so excited about them. And then you tell someone and they're like, oh, okay. Right. That's great. So it's really, it's really hard to get other people to be excited about your project. It's something I've learned over the years, and I mm-hmm. feel like I just have to pay people. Like that's just <laughs> basically. <laughs> but I, I remember being upset about the fact that you couldn't get anybody in the film society to to help you. I did. I couldn't understand that either. But that was. I mean, I don't want to go too deep in that, but there were some interesting, you know, dynamics going on in the film society oh, yeah. when you were there. So, and I, you know, and, and they had their own things going on, you know, mm. don't you think in a way it was like some like, you know, like clicks happening and they had their things and, oh yeah. I mean, I guess that's just, that's just like, oh, right. it's exactly, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. But the, what, a, what a great idea you have. Oh yeah. For for creating that space. Mm-hmm. What now, if you like hooked hooked yourself up with you know a, a school down there? They might be really into that. That's what I was going to do. One of the the benefits of it were was essentially um, like let's just say I had uh, some contract with UNLV and some mm-hmm. of their students came in as an internship to teach at the school. Yeah. That essentially means that the students that are at my nonprofit will then be kind of more sharpened and things like that when they go yeah. into school to get their productions and then they take them mm-hmm. even a step further so that they can make their movies. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so much more streamlined that way. That way they can get yeah. around, oh, where's my crew at? Why can't I, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, who, why are these people not on my side? You know what I mean? <laughs> I do, uh, yeah. But I felt like that was a great idea. But of course, because of the distancing thing, uh, it kind of, of course, I still have the things written down and things like that, but I will have to wait for all this to kind of clear. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, Keep it in mind, though. And even like, there could be some high schools that would be into that. You know, like there are those like magnet type schools where, you know, students are learning this or even like, do not forget your local community colleges, Joseph. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, I'm signing now. <laughs> I'm You're signing what? For one I'm, I'm actually in school now. 
Oh, you are. Yeah, with yeah. Um, right now, I'm taking world literature and history, like U.S. history, but I'm going for like a yeah. f philosophy degree. Oh, that's right. you, you did say that, didn't you? Yeah. I think you told me that. Wow, you are so cool. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. it. And also, I feel like that would like again um, help um, shape and mold my entertainment media perspectives yeah. and things like that. Yes, absolutely, but, it will. So, but with all the stuff that's happened uh, with the coronavirus, yeah. but did you, yeah. how can I say this? Mm -hmm. So everything is, I've noticed has moved to the internet. Things have been released on the internet. Uh, yeah. like, uh, even TV, well, TV shows have always been, or have begun regularly been being released on the internet. Mm -hmm. But um, what do you think that that is going to do for the industry in itself like financially like artistically mm -hmm. what do you how do you think that's going to change like in the, the film industry yeah so you are referring to streaming right yeah streaming basically <laughs> so i mean yeah there's this is so it's so interesting to to follow this so even before the pandemic we were streaming right so it's been a couple right. of years now with all of these new streaming services coming you have the big studios deciding, okay, you know, how, how should we even do a theatrical release, right? Or mm -hmm. how long should we stay in the theaters before we sell to, you know, one of these streamers? But so people were already, there weren't as many people going to the theater before the pandemic, but then once the pandemic hit, it, I think it really just, you know, shone like a light to the the film industry that you know what what are we going to do right like what 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 is going to happen so but it, it was already it was already i don't want to say dying but it was already there, there were way less people going to the movies than there ever had been because because they could already just stream the movies or they knew they would be able to stream them in a couple of weeks why why go spend 50 bucks at at the theater so that's really interesting and and even you know can we talk Joseph about Wonder Woman? I mean, you know I love Wonder Woman, don't you? Mm -hmm. I'm sure. You know. Of course, I love like I love like all uh, DC, Marvel, everything. But what what part? Do, what do you want to talk about with it? <laughs> I want to talk about the fact that they did a day on date release so that it was in the theater and HBO Max on the same day that it did not have like its own theatrical release. So remember it was supposed to be out in the summer and then it was fall and they kept pushing it back. And then they said, okay, we're just gonna put it out on Christmas. You can watch it on HBO Max or you can go to the, the theater. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know how I feel about that because a lot of the other big blockbusters like Warner Brothers is, is holding off on and Paramount is holding off on like, there are movies like like Quiet Place 2 or like Top Gun and Fast and Furious. Like there's no way they're going to try to put those films out until people start going back to right. the, the movies. Their finances. So the Wonder Woman, they did. did. Did you watch Wonder Woman? I did. One thing, okay, so my, uh, this is what I, what I assume is going on with why they did Wonder Woman that way. Yeah. I don't think Wonder Woman was that good. <laughs> <laughs> but 
-hmm. the reason why I feel like they did that that way is to kind of test how a movie is going to be received on those sorts of platforms. So it would have been like, and that was a major movie. Like that well, should have been a major movie. And also too, one of, you know, the, the um, side note, one of the, um, the bad guys in that mall scene Mm -hmm. in the beginning, Mm-hmm. I know him. <laughs> he was one. Of, he was did. like. Um, he was in my pilot episode of ESP. He was the bad guy, and then oh, he cool. probably showed his little like demo thing, blah blah blah, to them. So <laughs> my stuff was seeing myself wondering what's going But anyway, yeah. But I don't think it was good. that good. However, I what I do like about Wonder Woman, what I thought you was about to uh, go into was, um, mm-hmm. I love that Cheetah was. Yeah. one of the villains I think that she should have been the main villain like it shouldn't have been the little wishy guy that would make no sense to me thank you I totally <laughs> agree with you and I don't you know I don't want to say especially publicly anything bad about Wonder Woman but it was a little disappointing it was it's, it's all right and the whole, <laughs> it's sad it's sad to me and the yeah. the end like should we say what happened at the end or do you not want to do that it's, or does it even matter? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like it was this Tinkerbell moment. Like, do you remember? Do you remember Peter Pan at the end where Tinkerbell is dying? Oh, yeah. And Peter Pan says, clap, everybody clap, mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll make her come back alive. That's exactly what I felt. What the heck? <laughs> like, Wonder Woman, she's a god, right? Isn't she a god in the DC universe like she like the most powerful thing like is this right. what we is this what she does and I mean you, I like, don't talk. know and then also too like what like why did how did she know she was on camera how did she know that you know what I mean I like I just like I don't understand I was like yeah. I get it because I'm forcing myself to get it but <laughs> <laughs> forcing myself but you know, I heard that people like locked out I heard people fell asleep oh, so yeah. It's kind of upsetting and it's kind of upsetting as I, I think you're right like they they felt like they they could afford to kind of use one of them mm-hmm. in this way to see what would happen but they did you watch Tenet? Tenet? I did not watch it. I don't think so no. Yeah I, I didn't but they this this was Warner as well and they this film was directed by Christopher Nolan and they spent 200 million dollars on that movie and the the director convince them or like you know really push them into having a theatrical release in in september mm-hmm. and so this 200 million dollar movie made 30 million in the first few weeks oh, no. so that scared people and now warner media is is saying that all of their films in 2021 are going to be released to to streaming so that they're not going to have like their own big theatrical releases and people are like really upset about that like that's, the actors mm, and directors mm-hmm. that's also going to impact the cost of how much streaming service is going to be yeah do you think do, what do you yeah, think it's like, if, more? yeah they're definitely going to have to charge people more because if they are trying to make that money back on the movies that they're releasing on yeah. who's ever service right they, or no not even necessarily they could just release it and you have to pay for it to see it instead of like having to just be free on there that's a good point. Like I know that I know that so HBO Max is Warner Media, right? Mm-hmm. So and they're looking at HBO Max as being their that's their future, right? And mm-hmm. and and they're right. So maybe with Wonder Woman they were just they were trying to get a lot of subscribers. I I don't know that that it worked so much. But um 
so yeah, that, that that's a good point. It's it's cheaper. It's it's much cheaper for the studios to just release it right to streaming. But then you have like, but I I did appreciate the fact that HBO Max did not make me pay more to watch Wonder Woman, whereas like I really wanted to watch Mulan, and Disney Plus charged me thirty extra dollars. Mm-hmm. To watch Mulan. See, that's what I was, was going to bring up Mulan. I felt like Mulan had a mm-hmm. slightly better release because it was only yeah. it was intended only for that type of um, distribution. But it wasn't. I mean, it was supposed to be a theatrical release. It was uh, supposed it to be was. last spring. Yeah, it was supposed to be. I was again. I mean, you know, like I love the strong women. You mm-hmm. know, I was really excited for Mulan. I remember, I loved the animated version um, as a kid. So I was really excited to see like a, a real live action move on. And it was supposed to be out, I believe, in March of 2020, March or April, like spring. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it, it was not. And I'm not sure. Like the thing about the streaming services is like you never really know how much money they make. So and we don't know if they're putting out, you know, numbers that are right or that, exactly. that are accurate or if they're just you know inflating the numbers or because like all the executives come out and say oh this works really well and everything is great but we don't really know we, right. we don't and really also know. too not even uh the the budget that goes into the films mm-hmm. is has rebates and all the other stuff so they're already making their money back some uh, other way you know what i mean that's a good point mm-hmm. and i heard the oh what's the paramount guy's name jim jim giannopoulos I heard him talking about how, I mean, studios are doing okay right now because mm-hmm. they're not spending a lot of money on the big theatrical releases. Exactly. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see and like what films they decide they can, you know, stick right to streaming and what ones will have the theatrical release. I mean, have have you watched any of the films that have, you know, were supposed to have a theatrical release but like went straight to Netflix or Hulu or? No, I'm, I don't normally watch something that is just sitting on Netflix somewhere. Uh, or I just watch a TV uh-huh. show. <laughs> like, honestly, I don't watch yeah. any, I haven't really watched anything new besides Wonder Woman in like the longest time, which is bad. <laughs> it's fine. I, mean, I like to watch old stuff. Like, I rather watch things that have, I haven't seen that's old because, like, for instance, yeah. so sad. Mm-hmm. I just watched oh. Mommy Dearest like two weeks ago. Oh my God. I am not going to watch that. That is so interesting. That's an interesting movie. No. You never seen it? Oh, no, I don't know if I want to. Why? It's, it's really creepy, right? Tell it me, is isn't creepy. It creepy. It's amazingly creepy, though. Oh, amazingly <laughs> creepy. Okay. Like it's like right. it's like it's like it is sad. It's sad, amazingly creepy because it's like you obviously know that this is uh, probably a true story. And right. nobody dies or anything like that, but like you can see right. that this is very traumatic for a child to go through. Like you should be like you'd be like you don't even know what to do as a child in that situation. I don't want to tell you what happens in the movie, but okay. the point about what I was saying was like that's an old movie that came out in like the eighties. But that was yeah. that's one of those classic movie history yeah. things that I should have been watched, but yeah, I'd rather watch it now. You know what I mean? I'd rather watch all that old stuff now when all this garbage is going going on. <laughs> I mean, you, you make a really good point. I mean, I, I as well, you know, like I, I like film history, so I like watching older, older things as well. And I'm not always up on, you know, like right now, 
is also um, award season, right? So I'm not always up on like, you know, all of, you know, those movies that that are up for awards um, because I'm not really a huge fan of award season, but um, I I like the older, the older films as well, but I stay away from disturbing. I, I do like award season. It's a few you different do? reasons okay. why I like it, though. It's um, yeah, why? It gives me. Um, I feel like that's the only time where people are actually looking at stuff for with reason. You know, what I mean? mm-hmm. they're not like, oh, make money over this way, make money over here. They actually look at the movies, right. even though I don't watch right. them. But I know, like, yeah. just the fact that they're taking that time to actually look at things, mm-hmm. even on the internet. And I also like that they have, like, those mm-hmm. uh, independent categories and, like, short films mm-hmm. and stuff like that, even though, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I think it's very inspiring. And I feel like that's the, that's the trap, though. <laughs> For yeah. real, like, they kind of, I feel yeah. like, and also, too, with that, that whole idea of it being, not a trap, but... Um, it can be a, 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 a an illusion that can get you can get you really deep into like for the reason I went to film school was mm-hmm. because I thought that it was going to be this amazing journey and you know I was going to walk into LA and it's going to be like the sparkling you know what I mean yeah, so it's yeah. really really weird but with that with the mm-hmm. way that they're doing it now I feel like it's a great mm-hmm. opportunity for documentary filmmakers and people who mm-hmm. can post on streaming. But mm-hmm. do you think that um, that's a major um, benefit to what happened in 2020 for at least independent mm-hmm. people? Yeah, you mean like, yeah, I mean, I think that streaming in general is so great for independent films. Mm-hmm. So great. I mean, you still have, you know, like part of the reason probably that we are not up on every single amazing film is because there's so much content out there. So you have sort of this, you don't have as much anymore of the um, needing someone to open the doors to you, right? Mm And into like the Hollywood studios in order, you know, like the whole like gatekeeper thing. You, You can go out there and you can make a film. But then you have to hustle. You, you still have to hustle. Oh, yeah. um, it's really, really hard. And I'm sure you know this to get anybody to look at your stuff, let alone watch it, let alone help you distribute it. So it's, right. you, you still need someone to distribute your work. Like, cause let I Let alone be in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, but, but I mean, the cool thing is that there are more ways to have your films just distributed, but you, you still have to really hustle. You still have to really work, you know, film festivals mm-hmm. and you still have to have like an agent, right? You still, you still have to do all those things. If, if yeah. you're looking to like get a big audience and make a lot of money and, and win some awards, it's just, it's still really hard, but it's not as hard as it well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say it's not as hard as it used to be. I, I do like what, what I like about streaming is that there is so much, if not too much, but mm. we're getting so many more perspectives. We're watching things from so many different types of people now, you know, and um, right. that you would I, never have had the opportunity Absolutely right. I mean, it's one great thing about document. It's not just documentaries, but documentaries, there's you know, documentary filmmakers of, of every type. So you mm-hmm. can get, 
you, you can learn a lot about so many things. But even with, you know, narrative film now, it's, it's, it's getting better. It's getting better. You know, it's not just white men anymore. It's still a lot. Like, I don't want to, like, you know, fool ourselves or, or anybody that they aren't still the gatekeepers to distributing. But it, it, is, it is changing. And I think changing in, in a positive way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I bet you mean when you said, because um, I feel like because it's so much, it could be mm -hmm. your and your work could be lost, but yeah. because it's so easy to put it out there, you might as well get it done. Like the, you, might well. <laughs> you might as well get up and go. But so once, well. once the virus is over, do you think that? Um, I know for sure a lot of things are going to change, like, uh, mm -hmm. hopefully for the better. Well, I, I think yeah. definitely for the better. But Good. for us in the industry, I would say that I think that we're definitely going to kind of, how I was saying, move towards a more uh, collective, uh, everybody's working together type of thing because they haven't had the opportunity. They now see the need for making mm -hmm. quality productions and things like that because all they have to do is put it on the streaming websites and they can make money. So they, I feel like that at least the level of quality in filmmaking is going to go up for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's like you said before, you can grab your phone mm -hmm. and most people wouldn't even know that you're using a phone and not exactly. those like crazy expensive cameras. So yeah, access is everything, right? I mean, and if mm -hmm. if you want to, you know, talk about technology and film history, like that's like like I like I was carrying around my dad's VHS camera. You know, not every everybody was able to do that, and even before that, when people, you know, were using actual film, it was too expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's it's so like the way that technology has evolved, and there's there's pros and cons to that, you know, because like then it everybody is. and and they're mother is like putting out you know a, a, right. a youtube channel and exactly. literally <laughs> but this, we, we could say the same with podcasts right like everybody yeah. has a podcast but you know um because it's so much easier to do it, it is. but that's not always easier to make good stuff like even if you have like a good quality camera it doesn't mean that you can make a good film it doesn't mean exactly. that you know how to tell a story things yeah so like I will forgive, and I think a lot of people will forgive um, quality if it's a if it's a good story that draws you in. The only thing that is difficult is if audio isn't good, right? If you can't I've hear always, it, you, everybody's always said that. It's so true, don't you mm -hmm. think? Mm -hmm. Like like a shaky camera. I mean, I don't know. Isn't that big of a deal if the white balance is off a little bit? Not a huge deal right. if you can see the mic you know, hanging yeah, into the frame. <laughs> mm -hmm. But in a way, I was just thinking, uh, even like how successful podcasts are, it's because mm -hmm. it is because audio is so important. You can create mm -hmm. a whole mm -hmm. world just yeah. by closing your eyes. You know what I mean? So I think it, yes. that's a major, major part. So I think that even that's a good point that they mm -hmm. need to even consider the fact that podcasts are so important because audio is so mm -hmm. important. So they really mm -hmm. need to get into the the idea that we need to get on our sound in film. Yeah. Which yeah. is a huge thing. Spend but, your money on a good mic. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's always important. Mm -hmm. And then, so, by the, so, 
I know that this is similar to what happened in the 20s. I don't know if you know any information, yeah. uh, like the whole uh, Spanish mm -hmm. flu yeah. filmmaking. A little Did bit. it impact yeah. that at all during that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was major. So, I mean, it was very similar to what is happening right now. And people, and they, they were shutting down public places and people were, Wearing, wearing masks of course it was recommended I'm not really sure if everybody did right. you know, like we are now but they they were supposed to and yeah theaters were shut down just like they are now but the the problem in what that was like 1918 ish like around there mm -hmm. was that the theaters they they weren't big chains like they are now you know like we have like AMC and, and Cinemark it, it wasn't like that they were mom and pop um theater mm -hmm. so a lot of people felt like that was a really good way to make money and and it was because that i mean we're talking the the heyday of, of silent film you know so much money was being made by film in that time period and people loved going to the movie theater so you saw theaters popping up all over the place but you know they were just making ends meet so with the shutdown they could not make it anymore. And then what you have happening is you have the big studios led by Paramount, Adolf Zucker, uh, saw this as a golden opportunity. He wanted to own theaters because for him, if he could, if he could control the production and distribution of his films, I mean, he would, he, he would be golden, right? If he could he wouldn't have to convince any theater to show his films. Like he just knew all of his theaters would show all of his films. Right. right? Um, so that created the, what they called at the time, the studio system. So then all of the studios, the big studios, you know, like um, MGM, Warner Brothers, Fox, they all did the same thing. Um, they went out and they kind of maybe I would say probably bullied some of these theaters into selling or like some of the theater owners might've just been like, look, yeah, I can't, like, I, I need the money. So they, they just sold. Um, so that's, so it, it was huge. It, it definitely changed film, the film industry big mm. time. That's mm. interesting. <laughs> that sounds mm. like something that can happen now. <laughs> like, it sounds like something similar mm. to the way that things are moving to the streaming services where mm -hmm. I guarantee you there's some things going on where major mm -hmm. purchases are being made. People, mm -hmm. certain people are owning Netflix and you know what I mean? Because did you hear mm -hmm. that, um, that I don't know what this could mean in general but Netflix mm -hmm. moved from LA to uh, Albuquerque I think. Like the moving uh, offices. Cheaper Cheaper probably. and it probably is like uh, better like light and you don't have to compete with like the whole industry yeah. of LA but yeah. there's so many things that is about to happen with entertainment and I feel like yeah, because so interesting. Uh -huh. no I mean that's so interesting you just made me think like do you remember like we learned about how you know the film industry was in New York City but they mm -hmm. they moved they were trying to get away from Edison and you know so so I mean, this could be something similar. That's mm -hmm. that's interesting. Are we going to move from LA to? Uh... I, I always thought that we were going to because even the reason I <laughs> left was because, even though I know that a lot of stuff didn't happen with the film society or when I was there, but I actually did a <laughs> lot of work 
when I was mm-hmm. at when I was living in Maryland, and it's because mm-hmm. there's more people living outside of outside of LA who have this idea that they want to accomplish that they need the people that are leaving LA to do. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's like anywhere I post, I was like director for hire. Somebody would message me uh, in like a few days, like. Really? I was working on like web series and all this other stuff. So, so I was like, I was so confused when I was with the film society. I was like, I, don't, I can help y'all. I can help you. <laughs> really? I was like, really? Like, if y'all really want to do this, I can tell y'all how to do this. Like, I just I don't know. get it. Like, I know. But, but, I know. but, but that's the, I do think that it's a definite shift that's about to happen because there's no need to be there anymore. Nobody's going to be like, Nobody like all you have to do is message Netflix and they'll put your movie on their right. website. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't really think it's quite that easy. It's not that easy, but literally, that's if you boil it down, that's what's happening. But well, yeah, you gotta have, you, you gotta get you have to get um, like a good distributor, oh, you know, yeah. like someone who will. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I'm not. Um, the thing about all these studios is they're all connected with and, and own these streaming services. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're still, except for Netflix, right? So like Netflix yeah. is like its own studio right now. Like they're they becoming, are. they're their own studio, but the That's others, why I think they you know, left because they don't want to be pressured yeah. by, uh, how, cause they was literally on Sunset Boulevard. They was literally down, not when I was at school, but when I yeah. went to LA, they was down the street from my school. Mm-hmm. So the wow. Like, like pressured. Wow, like that guy, the Netflix guy, Reed Hastings, I and mean, I think he's pretty smart. Do you remember oh, yeah. when Netflix was just, you would rent DVDs? Mm-hmm, DVDs. Do you remember that? I remember. <laughs> you would get like three at a time, mm-hmm. and then you watch it and then send it back, and then you could add more to your list, or whatever they called that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember... When Hulu came, and I'm like, ooh, maybe Hulu is cooler than Netflix. So I switched to Hulu and, mm-hmm. and, and got my DVDs through Hulu, but then they really weren't as good as Netflix. But it's so wow. interesting. It's, everything is in town. It's, you have to, I also think that a major part of being a filmmaker is being aware of these um, trends and how things are going to change. Yeah. Because you can yeah. really catch on to something and really ride a wave and then everything was great mm-hmm. until then. I know. But yeah. With yeah. the... Looking at, like, like on... How film definitely um, sort of... Like, how can I say this? The way that we produce movies and the way that movies mm-hmm. are made in general is definitely a reflection mm-hmm. of what happens in society. Even with, uh, like, I've noticed, like, do you watch The Masked Singer or something like that? Oh <laughs> you ever heard of that show? Yes, yes. I've watched a couple episodes. Yeah. I like The Masked Singer, The Masked Dancer makes no sense. But Wait, there's a masked dancer? Yeah, no? so stupid. How do you... Dance with that. Not even that. How can you tell who a person is by their dancing? You can tell who they are by their singing because it's their voice. (laughs) But I think it's because of that. Like the, like that's a reflection of our society at the moment. Like we have this like whole not because I know the mass dancer was. I mean the mass singer was before. um, 
uh-huh. the whole mass phase, blah, 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 blah. That was going for <laughs> uh-huh. years or so. But the mass dancer for sure is like a catching on to like this whole fool, not foolish, but this mask um, phase in our society. And I feel like. You think? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but <laughs> because they're trying to make it, make it, make people comfortable. I'm not saying this will last forever or anything like that, but they're yeah. trying to make it not seem so ridiculous. Like, oh, look at this mask dancer show. Okay. Oh, let's wear a mask. Okay. I'll just wear a mask. Yeah, it's oh. like, like comment. We can like, relax <laughs> a little bit. But I definitely think that film reflects society. I don't know which way it does. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we reflect it or it reflects us. <laughs> but right. well, I think it's a right. very, that's why you also have to be very, um, like, you have to keep your eyes open on how mm-hmm. your receiving art and things like that like things that are on tv but when you look at you specifically when you look at like what's happening in society today Mm -hmm. do you think that it's a reflection on something in the film industry do we impact it or do you think it impacts us so you are uh, uh, taking philosophy (laughs) for sure so this is yeah this definitely i I would say a philosophical question i Mm. think i mean it's got to be a little bit of both i mean um i think that how can a filmmaker make something and not be impacted by what's going on around them Mm -hmm. right even if they don't realize that is happening. Um, do you remember when we watched Night of the Living Dead? Did we watch that in your class? We did. Okay, so that movie, even though like Romero says it has nothing to do with the time period, it like so obviously does. It definitely did. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about well, it's like 1968, and we have like you know like one of the most tumultuous years in the history of, of America. And then he creates this, you know, these zombies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you have like the, the, the one black man who's like the hero of, of the whole thing. I mean, how is that not a reflection of what is going on in exactly. the country? So, so I guess, yeah, I just feel like we are, we're, we're living in the time that, that we're living in. So there's, we are going to be impacted. And so if we are creators, it's like almost impossible like to live in a bubble and try to create something that has nothing to do with what your life is like mm-hmm. at that time. I also so, think I it's important yeah. to mm-hmm. um, kind of, especially when a negative impact is, um, yeah. being, mm-hmm. in, is being pushed on you as an influence, because mm-hmm. a lot of people I've noticed do not know how to distinguish somebody's opinion being distributed to you as a fact or a fact being distributed um, to you as a fact. Because, or, or not even that, to say that, um, like for instance, let me, I'm not going to say nothing, like this isn't nothing bad. I'm going to say it, I don't care. <laughs> but like <laughs> the, I feel like the way that, society is constantly um, trying to shape the image of like how women behave and things like that. 
um, like for instance, like like the whole um, twerk phase and stuff like that and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I feel like, or just the the. Um, I'm trying to be clean with this. <laughs> gotcha. As clean as possible, but um, the like for instance, the song, the WAP song, or something like that. I feel like people need to be able to distinguish how, yeah, maybe music is something that could be passed along, whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. but I don't think that people need to attach themselves to what the words of that song really means. Like, you know what I mean? They don't have to be, mm -hmm. oh, I'm gonna go out and get money from these people because that song said it's okay. You know what I mean? And I feel I like, see. you know what I mean? That's what, that's the what I was trying yeah. to get to, but I feel like people do that so easily. Like they, they think that because they hear it in a song, they hear it on right. uh, like a TV show, like they see somebody acting crazy on like the internet. Right. That, that's okay to then reflect. I feel like gotcha. that's one yeah. thing, one huge issue that mm -hmm. being a filmmaker can kind of alleviate if you really know what you're looking at and you know that how you will reflect it on some level. Yeah, so I mean, the question, yeah, so you're talking about, I think, like the, the impact that, that media has on people and, and are we shaped mm -hmm. by our media? Like, do we begin to act certain ways? Like, you know, for example, you, you brought up, you know, women, like, do we think that because of what we're seeing in the media, that's the way women are supposed to be, mm -hmm. you know, with, with all the, the, the twerking and like the sexualization of women and the objectification and yeah, I mean, I 100% that definitely happens. And also too, I just want to make it clear too, that there's also a difference between being an empowered woman and an over-sexualized woman. Just because you say you want to do all these things does not mean that that's empowerment for you, that yeah. you actually being fooled by yeah. Uh, like the media who says that this is what power looks like wrong. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. I mean, that's a that's just an issue. Well, obviously, I mean, we've had so many people come forward and, and, and talk about this, just even in terms of like, we were, I, you know, brought up gate gatekeepers before. And if we're talking about music, mm -hmm. you know, like, who are these um, executives in the music industry? Exactly. And, they're telling, you know, young women even, like I, I listened to this whole podcast about Jessica Simpson. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, you know, I think I, I was too old to be like a huge <laughs> Jessica Simpson fan when, yeah. when she was coming out. But, <laughs> but I, you know, I just knew there was this kind of rivalry between Jessica Simpson and, and Britney Spears, right? Right. So apparently Jessica Simpson, I don't know if you already know this, but apparently like she was brought up quite conservatively, quite, you know, um, has a religious background and she just wanted to sing like nice songs and mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe do some country music, but she wanted to stay fully clothed and, and, and just sing her music. But because she was coming up at the same time as Britney Spears, like her label wanted her to do the same things that Britney Spears was doing. And she right. was extremely uncomfortable with like dressing like that. The, the, the big thing was like midriff then, you know, like the really low rise pants and like mm -hmm. a super light crop top. And I mean, it, it really, it, it's really disappointing. And so, and the, 
but these like executives, like they're all men, you know, and you're taking this like 16, 17, 18, even 19 year old girls and telling them what they have to do in order to keep their career going. Exactly. Well, I mean, nine times out of 10, they're going to just go with it, especially right. if their parents aren't, you know, saying, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Being famous is not as important as, you know, your, your integrity and your confidence mm-hmm. and your self-worth. So I think are we going down a rabbit hole, but it just made me, <laughs> it, it just made me think, think of all of that. Yeah, that's completely and, true. Mm-hmm. And film is the same. Film is the same. Like women's, you know, like even, I don't know, like even strong women, like, I think it's getting so much better, but like, even like, for example, like Tomb Raider, which I never really watched too much of, but Angelina Jolie, like that's a strong, powerful role. But I mean, she's dressed quite skimpily, you know, um, throughout that movie. It's mm-hmm. like, you take this strong role, but you, it's like, if, if it's a woman, it has to be like very sexualized. Right. In a way, or, so. if it, or if it's a woman who's too strong, it becomes not attractive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's so weird. The world is so, it's over, I'm telling you. (laughs) It's crazy. You know, I I think it's getting better. And, you know, just to, because, you know, there's so many, and what what I'm loving these days are all of these, and I don't even know what the correct term is, but drama series, maybe, as I would say, like, you know, like, um, did you, do you ever use Apple TV? I know. I was using them over the summer and they had, um, the morning show, it's so good. It's like Reese, Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman, I think are doing some amazing um, docu, not docu-series, but like drama series um, where, you know, they put out like, you know, eight or 10 episodes of this just amazing story, like Big Little Lies. Did you watch that? I know the series though. Oh, I you got to. It. It's <laughs> so good. Just, I know it's like, it's not filmed, but in a way it reminds me of just like watching like a two or three part film. Mm. Um, in a way, but anyway, so we're having more more media that's produced and directed by women. So we're now we're starting to see that women are not one dimensional. That there's lots of different types of women, and it's okay to be <laughs> mm. all these different types of women. Um, so I think I want to say it's getting better, and I love Shonda Rhimes. I love love oh, Shonda Rhimes. Very good, very good uh, content. She really does, mm. and now. It's I mean, you know, I love Grey's Anatomy. I don't love it as much as I used to because she's not writing it anymore. I don't think it's as good, but um, Scandal. And now she's, um, she just put out, I think it's an eight or 10 part series on Netflix, Bridgerton. Have you heard of that? What was it? Bridgerton. Uh, I don't think so. Shonda oh, Rose did it. Oh, good. Yeah, she's, she's the executive producer. Check right. it out. It's so good. <laughs> so good anyway uh, but what uh you what you said about the um women's uh being more displayed as not so one-dimensional uh so i remember this one comment that someone made that uh, i've never seen the show supergirl but (laughs) but um they're saying that there's like the person who said it was is a little like loopy in the mind. I don't like the <laughs> can't really trust what they say. Say no, okay. but um, they said that there was like a lot of like, political messages in it or something like that, or like there's like a lot of um, 
hidden agenda. Mm. What I don't know what they said. Basically, how they like I'm sure there was like a lot of feminist messages and stuff like that. I think it's mm-hmm. so weird when people are offended by um, mm. someone wanting to be not discriminated <laughs> against. You know what I mean? I know it. I think that's so <laughs> weird to be like, oh, I don't want to watch yeah. the show. It's all those messages in it. Oh, why? But mm. does it? Aren't they talking to you? Is that why you don't want to watch? Because you know they're talking to you. <laughs> But, right, exactly. Yeah, because you know you're the one who's mindless yeah, trying exactly. to say <laughs> Like, you are the target for this message. Like, you are it right here. It's so weird. It's so, I think that, like, but I think that, uh, especially because um, so many perspectives are able to be captured and streamed now. Yeah, yeah. It may, it's going to be two parts to it where people are, there's going to be so much more minds being open because there's so much yeah. more access, but there's also going to be the other people trying to double down to be like, this is the stuff I'm going to talk about. I'm not trying to be yeah. have this pushed on me. So I it's know. going to be like, yeah, and eventually mm-hmm. that, that'll go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, I mean, I think it's, I think it is important to, to realize that what, that there really are messages in media. So at least that mm-hmm. person is, is aware that there's a message there, but is that person also aware of the messages in all of the media that they exactly. are Even consuming? Like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That there's always, a, they're just, I, that, that's one thing that I try to get across to my students is to just be thinking critically about mm-hmm. what you are ingesting because there's always someone behind there who's tr- who is trying to drive some kind of agenda. So just right. at least be aware of that and mm-hmm. don't let it completely like mold you unless you are aware that you're allowing your mind to be molded. Exactly. Or if you've uh, at least um, went to other sources to confirm that this is the yeah. proper mold to be in. <laughs> <laughs> It is interesting though, but I do like, I really like the film. I really, really have, mm-hmm. have always been interested in film in so mm-hmm. many different ways. And from the reason that we've talked about, and it's always mm-hmm. so interesting to talk about just what happens. But what is there any place that we can find your work, like your documentaries, like your podcasts? You want me to give some plugs? I don't think I'm going to have a lot of plugs. The only podcast right now that is actually um, being distributed right now, like most of my stuff is like literally like in production right now. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's going to be a little while before it's out. But we do have one really fun podcast. It's called Hey Chef. It is, it's really a Baltimore-based podcast. It's where a young a young chef who is actually my son is interviewing local Baltimore chefs about their journey to becoming chefs. So it's, it's, it's really a lot of fun. And I wanted to highlight the, the Baltimore local restaurant scene, which is really coming up and has really been coming up over the past 20 years. There's some amazing restaurants, but Baltimore is really overlooked, especially mm-hmm. I think because we're in between DC, which has an amazing, you know, food scene, and then obviously New York, which yeah. is through the roof. Which is crazy. I uh, like anywhere I've gone. I've eaten in places all around the country. There is yeah. no place that's better food than in Maryland. <laughs> like I never been to Chicago though. No. I've heard that we like eh, Chicago, but <laughs> but wow, um, I haven't. I've never been to Chicago though, so I can't fully say that yet. But I, yeah. I'm sorry, like. 
how seafood, like the way that we season stuff, the way we fry things, Aww. like the whole throwdown is just so good. Like, they, like if you like even for instance, anyway. But <laughs> my the point, my sister's a chef. I didn't know you do. Uh, I remember you, I see the um your that's the hay chef is with your kids, right? The hay chef is well. My my son is is the host, but we um I have CCBC students who are producing. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and uh, we, I didn't know she did that. I should have my sister on there. <laughs> Is she in Baltimore? Yeah, she's in Baltimore. Oh, please. Oh, what's your sister's it's name? Kayla Campbell. She has like a, it's, I can send you all her stuff to eat with Send Kay. me her stuff. Oh, yay. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I had no idea. So, I mean, it's, it is really a lot of fun. And we produce it um, as well. So I have CCBC students who help me with the production. And we also have a partnership with WYPR. Um, our local NPR radio station, mm-hmm. where before the pandemic, we were recording there, which was so cool um, to to be in like a real radio studio. Um, and Sammy was um, interviewing the chefs. Now I'm doing it how how you're doing it, Joseph, like through through Zoom. Um, yeah. But anyway, it it is it's really cool to to highlight Baltimore that way. So yeah, I definitely want to contact your sister. I'll I'll send you the link to to Oh yeah, I'll I'll just want to message her. She'll definitely go in there. I was gonna have her on here. I saw Uh a few of my the most recent episodes I did was about film. So I probably was gonna go into like a small business, small chef, you know what I mean, type of uh, my next little phase or whatever. But so you are into food. Oh, so cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I love that you like think Maryland has the best food. It's so funny because I'm I'm going to say the same thing about Chicago. And when I move <laughs> to Baltimore, I just, I have the hardest time. So really? Yeah. Like, do, you, do you like seafood? Are you not a seafood person? The, I'm not a seafood person. That's what Probably it is. Like... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe the landlocked seats. <laughs> but... I, <laughs> No, like, but Chicago's a little, a little late. But I, I think that's what it is for me, though. Like, then, mm-hmm. like, you, if you go anywhere and you order a crab cake, you will be disappointed. <laughs> like, uh, you will be like, or even like fried yeah. anything seafood. I'm going to be disappointed if I'm not. You're you going to be disappointed. I'm gonna be, like sad. <laughs> well, that's how I am with pizza. And oh, there, yeah. I can't find any place around Baltimore that I just love 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 pizza wise i always you know i tell students that every semester where is the good pizza look this up. let me see something i know a place <laughs> okay good yeah tell me <laughs> um have you ever heard of this place called matthew's pizza near patterson park no okay matthew's they have good pizza, pizza. i don't think Okay. It's on Eastern Avenue. Look that up. <laughs> okay. I'm going to look it up. Matthew's Pizza. Yes. Okay. And then if they want to pay me for that, let me know. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to be super biased on the pizza. Probably. Oh, yeah. I, I do want to go to Chicago. That's like one of my next stops. Like, yeah. I must go there. I must eat the, sh- must. Like, eat the hot dog. I also do oh not my eat. God, yes. I also don't eat ketchup on my hot dogs either. <laughs> you don't need it. You, you're not gonna need it in Chicago. I don't even like that. I like mustard <laughs> on my hot dogs. Oh, like, damn, so gross. Yeah. 
Pizza and hot dogs in yes. Chicago. It's good stuff. I I missed it a lot. Yeah, you definitely have to get over there. Well, now, so is there any topics you like to cover? I think we talked <laughs> about a good amount of stuff. I thought it was an interesting speak. I think you have a lot. Are you gonna edit this? Maybe, maybe not. I normally just do. Uh, <laughs> I normally just do like a sound leveling type of thing, but I don't really like okay. all the stuff that I hear. Okay. Oh, yeah. You so. it up. Cool. No, I think you have plenty. Look, that was over an hour. You have plenty of material. Oh, I yeah. believe. A whole hour and twenty. <laughs> oh, yes, but. All right, this is virtual reality. I want to say thank you to my guest, Beth Bonick. Yes. They don't, eh, she has podcasts, look her up. She has some documentaries okay. coming out. Look out for those too. Um, mm -hmm. I did hope you enjoyed our discussion on film and film history, but mm -hmm. Beth, it was amazing. Oh my gosh, it was such an honor. I feel mm -hmm. like it's such an honor that you asked me to to be part of your podcast. I'm very excited about it and excited that you're doing it. Yes, I needed some professional <laughs> film. <laughs> Who else is going to do it but that? But yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, all right. But I'll see you. I'll definitely be having you on again. We can talk about, okay. maybe talk to some actors, talk about film, documentary cool. work. But all right, Beth. Sounds good. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're signing out. All right, see ya. Bye.